0: Hi, I'm Gracie Sarkeesian, the Executive Director at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and our alumni have an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world.
1: We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello oh, and welcome to All in a Day's Work. My name is Haley Garofalo and today I'm speaking with Logan Jacobs, the Assistant Director of Undergraduate Admissions at UNC Chapel Hill. We're so thrilled to have Logan here during National Native American Heritage Month. Logan, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Oh, Thank you all so much for having me.
1: <laughs> of course.
2: We would love to get started
1: by talking about how your identity has affected which degrees and opportunities you've pursued.
2: Sure. Um, so I didn't have much exposure to Native American culture growing up. I was splitting my time between North Carolina and Florida, and during some points in Florida, I was actually the only Native American student in my school district. So coming to UNC Chapel Hill when I actually had the opportunity to explore Native heritage in an academic setting um, through the American Indian and Indigenous Studies program at UNC was so influential for me to just have that opportunity to have professors. Talking about not just, you know, Native communities broadly, but even being able to take courses like Eastern Native American tribes that specifically mentioned my tribal communities. So, realizing that there was space to explore uh, Native culture in academia completely shifted how I approached higher education in my time in college. But I also was a political science major because I saw poli sci as a route to make meaningful change through policy, through politics, through being able to speak to people and make changes on a national level. And so that has really shifted over time. At first it was, you know, political science broadly, and now I'm focusing more on Indigenous politics and policy um, and realizing that it kind of leaches into all different areas of study too. It's never just a single field. Um, It's very interdisciplinary to be able to study Indigenous things in an academic setting. And so
1: from that, what led you then to Come to NYU for a master's in politics after, you know, studying political science and government at UNC Chapel Hill, as you just started to mention.
2: Sure. Um. So I was very much told, uh, graduating in 2016, that if you wanted the job of your dreams, the next step was to get a master's diploma. So that was really a huge motivating factor for me. But also, UNC really sparked a love of learning that I'd kind of struggled with in, you know, standard K through 12, trying to find my fit within, you know, being an academic. Um, I was definitely like a C's and maybe a few D's student going up to 12th grade. And that opportunity at UNC to really see myself in my studies was when things started to click. And so I wasn't quite ready to be done with just my bachelor's. I really wanted to continue my studies into graduate school. And NYU was actually a school I had applied to for undergrad and was rejected by. And that was really a spark to light that fire again to show them like, hey, I can succeed at NYU. And so I was really grateful to have the opportunity to demonstrate that um, through my master's at the Graduate School of Arts and Science in politics. Um, I also particularly liked that NYU's politics department had a focus on American politics specifically. So I felt like that was a really great space for me to be able to dive into, you know, greater American politics generally, but then also specify into Native American politics within the greater scope of America. And I do also want to say that the Native community at NYU did play a role in my decision as well, because UNC had a huge infrastructure for Native students. We had what's called a Carolina Indian Circle, so a Native student group. They had a graduate level of that student group. They had the American Indian Center. That was a literal office on campus dedicated to serving not only Native students, but the Native community in North Carolina. And so I wanted similar infrastructure and saw that there was some in place here at NYU through the Native American and Indian Indigenous Students Group. So knowing that that community was already in place on campus uh, was a huge motivating factor on top of, you know, wanting to prove that I really could hack it here at NYU. So what did
1: you do after graduating from NYU and how did this opportunity come about?
2: Sure. Um, So I was in kind of a weird space graduating from NYU. Um, I graduated in January was when I received my diploma. So I had, you know, technically the end of the academic year to kind of figure things out. I was working as a student worker for the Center for Multicultural Education and Programs at NYU. So I got to do some really awesome work creating programming for and about Native students and Native communities around NYU, which was really awesome. Um, and so that was like the perfect transition out of, you know, still working for NYU, but not really being a student. I had begun interviewing with the Office of Undergraduate Admissions because they had spoken about wanting to really work on their native recruitment aspect, but then they were hit with like about a six-month hiring freeze. So, you know, it's a little hard to be unemployed for six months, especially living in New York City. I got to have those funds coming in from somewhere. Uh, So, I took what I kind of view as like a gap job in the meantime, um, as a legal assistant in a boutique law firm in midtown Manhattan. And that job was one that I was genuinely interested in because with my background in politics, I was considering eventually going to law school or what work I could do in the law field. But quickly realized that maybe I wasn't the best cut out for that type of environment. That role was not the best fit for me. And so I was very excited when the Office of Undergraduate Admissions came back after that hiring freeze and was able to offer me a role. So, you know, I, I feel like I always should acknowledge that little gap role because it was very influential. I think it's so important to figure out, you know, what doesn't work for you as much as it is to figure out what does work for you and what you do want to do. But ultimately, I feel like my role at undergraduate admissions was my first real step into the professional world as it was a role that, you know, wasn't necessarily a, just a paycheck, but something that I wanted to build into something for the long term.
1: I think that's a good reminder of how our paths aren't always super linear, that we don't always follow a really straightforward path and know exactly what we want to do and get the right opportunity right away. But sometimes we have other opportunities that come along that, to your point, showcase something else we didn't know about ourselves and a learning opportunity. So when you came back to NYU... You eventually advocated for a new position within NYU admissions tailored to the recruitment of Native and Indigenous students. What inspired you to take on this challenge and what was it like to create a
2: new position? Sure. Uh, So my own experiences of navigating higher education as a Native American woman really influenced the gap that I saw in admissions work and making sure that Native students had access to higher ed. Even though I'm not first generation, my mother went to college. I actually uh, she was a teen mom, so I was actually able to attend college with her for a few years at UNC Chapel Hill as well. So she had navigated that process, and I did have support. But at the same time, I still had so many questions that a lot of my like classmates in high school did not have because they weren't coming from one generation of college-educated parents like I was. They were coming from multiple generations, and so there was a little bit of a- the discrepancy between my experience applying to colleges and theirs. I always strive to, you know, make the path better and wider for those who come after me. And so working in admissions, it was very easy to see how I could do that in a meaningful way. And the inspiration to really pitch that role came from attending the Native American Student Advocacy Institute Conference, that college board puts on, uh, which is specifically to talk about how to improve college recruitment and retention um, and Native experience in higher ed. And so being at that conference and seeing how many schools had dedicated staff people specifically for Native students and community members, I said, NYU can absolutely do this. We have the infrastructure in place. We have the experience to see these gaps in our recruitment practices, and we just need to, you know, start moving some priorities, moving some experience into filling that gap. And so we were able to successfully create that role and I served in it for a year. And it really is one of the highlights or probably the highlight of my professional experience this far, just being able to really directly meet with Native students to help them, to give them the information that they need. Because at the end of the day, they're the actors who are making this huge decision, um, often the biggest decision they've ever made in their entire lives up until this point point. and so if I you know can provide them with the information they need to make the best informed decision for themselves then I've absolutely done my job correctly and that coordinator for Native American recruitment role allowed me to serve in a very specific way and provide that information to students who might not have known where to look for it or might not have been able to you know ask the right questions because uh, I've learned half the battle is knowing what question to ask.
1: So you started to talk about this a little bit, but can you share a little bit more about the challenges facing the Native and Indigenous community as they take on the
2: college process and what ways you've been part of addressing these barriers? Sure. Um, So there are large barriers to Native students accessing higher education. A few years ago, I was exposed to the statistic that only about 13% of Native Americans have received a bachelor's degree, which is significantly lower than the national average and from, you know, other racial and ethnic groups as well. And so there's inherently a lack of college going culture, a lack of folks being able to see themselves in higher education. And a lot of that comes from these massive systemic issues, such as the residential schools. Up into about the 70s and 80s, there were residential schools that would separate Native students, sometimes forcefully, from their families, keep them separated for years, if not, you know, a decade, strip them of their culture, of their language, and often use violence, both physical and sexual, to oppress these students. And as the common phrase is, kill the Indian to save the man. And so there is an inherent distrust of Western education systems in a lot of Native communities, and for very valid reasons, because this isn't your great-great-great-grandparent you're talking about. This is your grandma. This is your grandfather. This is recent generations who have experienced this trauma. And so it's very clear for a lot of Native families and communities that their children may not be safe in Western education spaces and that's why it's so essential to create roles where you know you are saying to native students we value you we will protect you we will take care of you and we will validate your existence as a native student in whatever way that means for you and so there are so many other barriers such as you know money. Um, there are issues in really vetting folks' indigeneity. You know, there's blood quantum of saying, do you have X percentage of Native American blood in you? And therefore, are you really a Native? And so there are other barriers for whether or not Native students can see themselves on campus. But I think it's really important to acknowledge that a lot of these issues are larger systemic, not individual, should I go to this college issues? And so it's important to not just address them with individual students, but really address them as an institution on an institutional level.
0: And now a word from Sarah Rosenthal, manager of experiential learning programs at the Wasserman Center for Career Development. Show your violet pride by supporting NYU alumni owned businesses The NYU Alumni-Owned Business Directory gives alumni the opportunity to share information about their businesses. From restaurants to virtual counseling, this directory showcases the diverse passions of the alumni community and how you can support them. Currently, the NYU Alumni-Owned Business Directory has over 500 businesses across more than 20 different categories, all in one location. There are many different ways to search for alumni businesses, including location, NYU school, and also the unique identity filter. November is Native American Heritage Month, and we encourage you to check out our Native and Indigenous-owned businesses and consider showing them your support. For more information or to submit your business for inclusion in the directory, please visit NYU-Alumni-Businesses.com or email alumni.benefits at NYU.edu. Now back to the show.
1: So we're going to pivot a little bit into another experience that you had in which you were recently a program coordinator for the Robert and Helen Bernstein Institute for Human Rights. Can you describe
2: the work that this
1: institute does and what brought you there?
2: Sure. Um, so the Bernstein Institute does incredible work around legal empowerment. So a lot of law schools or institutions within law schools sometimes get the flack that it's very much just for folks in the legal field who have law degrees, who know the ins and outs and the nuances of the legal system. But the Bernstein Institute is really committed to making the law accessible to everyone. And so that can be, you know, law students who are figuring things out for themselves and what it means for them to be a lawyer in progress. It can be folks who work in specific communities or in different neighborhoods who are advocating for justice for their communities, but might not have that legal degree background. They may be much more community centered. And it's also recognizing a lot of the systemic injustice that is already in place, not only in the United States, but globally. And so I really appreciated the incredible work the Bernstein Institute has done in a broad sense, but also the incredible experiences they gave me as the program coordinator. I got to have my hands in so many different pots. As I mentioned before, I have not gone to law school. And so diving back into the world of law was a little intimidating, but the Bernstein Institute made it look easy to, you know, bring me in to have that transition and to have me involved in so many different ways. So I really love the work of the Bernstein Institute. I think they're doing incredible things. And it was hard to leave them, but I am very excited for the future of their work as well. So
1: cool. So Uh, You've recently returned to your alma mater, UNC, to work in admissions and are working on a second master's from NYU. What excites you about being back in North Carolina and in what ways, if any, does this
2: position connect to what you're studying at Gallatin? So I am thrilled to be back in North Carolina. I very much love New York, but North Carolina is my literal home. I was born here. Both of my tribes are from North Carolina. I still have family here. And so I think... I will always be drawn back to North Carolina, no matter where I might live in the meantime. So, I love being back in North Carolina broadly. And while I'm not directly doing Native American recruitment at UNC at this time, I feel like in a lot of ways, with UNC being a public institution, and particularly with North Carolina having the highest population of Native Americans east of the Mississippi River, Native recruitment is already a little baked into the admissions process at UNC in a way that it might not have been been at NYU before I started. And so I'm really excited to, you know, have that be part of my work and also be able to reconnect locally, you know, with the Carolina Indian Circle, with the American Indian Center at UNC, with my own tribes, and be able to really leverage that professional relationship with UNC with my own personal connections as well. I would say my work at UNC might not directly connect with my Gallatin in like a very point A to point B kind of sense. But as I said earlier, education for education's sake is a big passion of mine. I don't think any bit of knowledge will ever go to waste. And I also mentioned that being Indigenous or studying Indigeneity is a very interdisciplinary process. can't just pick one field and call it Native Studies because it's going to touch on art, it's going to touch on science, it's going to touch on the humanities. Any work where I'm able to even talk with one Native student is always going to be relevant to my Gallatin degree. Like I said, I'm the type of of student where if I'm excited about what I'm learning, I'm a great student. And so I'm able to see that Gallatin giving me that flexibility has really um, just improved my research capability, my passion for the program, and the passion for the research that I'm doing as well. Speaking of your passions, you have been able to build a career
1: advocating for issues you've been passionate about. What's your advice for people that
2: want to make a career out of their passions? Sure. So I always encourage, you know, doing what you love. I think that's so important. And especially for folks who are very mission oriented, like myself, if you can see the purpose of the work that you're doing, you're going to love that work. But it is a double sided coin, a dual-sided sword, however you want to phrase it, because with doing something you're so passionate about, you're that much more at risk of burnout. And I think that's the part of the conversation that often gets left out because, you know, you hear the phrase, you know, do do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. But that's not totally true. You're still doing labor, whether it's emotional, intellectual, sometimes physical, there is still, you know, some weight that is put on you by doing any job, whether it's the easiest job in the world or the hardest job in the world, you're going to feel some weight from it. And so I think it's really important for folks that are doing work that they're passionate about to make sure that they're carving out time to take care of themselves too. It's not selfish to take time for yourself because if you, you know, if you're really driven by your work and want to frame it that way, you're hurting your ability to do your work if you're not taking care of yourself. So it's important to maintain that balance so that, you know, you take care of yourself on a personal level, but you also make sure that the work that you're doing continues to be at the level that you think it deserves to be. And that, you know, if you're serving people in any capacity, the work that they deserve to receive. I think that sometimes we don't talk about that
1: enough, the work that we do giving back to ourselves, especially in, in, positions in which we're giving to others. So on top of everything, you are also a leader in the NYU Native and Indigenous Alumni Network. What have you learned from that experience?
2: Sure. I have loved being the chairwoman for the Native and Indigenous Alumni Network at NYU. It has given me the opportunity to meet folks I would have never met, because sometimes they graduated 30 years before I ever stepped foot on campus. And especially in these pandemic times where it can be so hard to connect with people in person, being able to hop on a Zoom and do a cooking class where I'm teaching folks how to make fry bread in their own kitchen from, you know, potentially hundreds, if not thousands of miles away is an incredible opportunity to connect with folks I would have literally never been able to chat with or like share this moment with. I've really appreciated being able to be a part of that network and just meet so many new people. and. Bond over our shared but also slightly different cultures as you know it's important to acknowledge Native and Indigenous isn't just you know a handful of different communities it's thousands of different communities coming together and finding common ground. For sure. As we mentioned November is National Native American
1: Heritage Month. What are ways members of the NYU community can celebrate this month in a way that's productive and valuable?
2: Sure, um so Native American Heritage Month is an awesome opportunity for two things in particular. One, educating yourself. That is a time where a lot of Native folks feel on fire to be able to share so much about their culture, to be able to share resources, books, movies, research, whatever it may be that is connected to their culture and to their community. And so if you're looking for an opportunity to learn but you haven't quite known how to dive in, I can guarantee you there are going to be hundreds if not thousands of Native folks more than willing to share these. These different resources, whether it be on social media, whether it be Um, open book syllabi, compilations that I've seen people put together online. It's also an awesome opportunity to support Native American artists and business owners. There's often the conversation of appropriation versus appreciation. And I think during Native American Heritage Month, people feel a little more uh, nervous about that because you might be seeing more Native wares out being sold. You might say, oh, well, that's a beautiful dress, but can I wear it as a non-Native? My rule of thumb is respect the seller enough to think that they know what can and cannot be shared with external people. That if it's something sacred and private, they won't be selling it on Etsy or in their storefront. So as long as you're buying, you know, artwork, that beadwork, um, whatever it may be from a Native seller, from a Native artist, you are directly supporting a community. So I think For folks who might be, you know, on the fence with that, always support native small business owners. They will always appreciate it and they will always make sure that it is appreciation and not appropriation. So, you know, educate yourself. And if you have a few dollars, maybe throw those towards a native business owner.
1: Really helpful and great advice. Logan, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today and share about your experience with the NYU community. We really appreciate it, and it's been lovely to get to know you. This has been Haley Garofalo with another episode of All in a Day's Work. Thanks for listening.
0: If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log on to our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Haley Garofalo with episode guest Logan Jacobs were produced by Sarah Rosenthal and Ben Barzilai, edited by Ben Barzilai, and created with support from Emily Anderson, Danielle Crystal, and Joseph Mercadante. That's all in a day's work. Thanks for listening.